Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. And corruption is like a cancer. It gets every part of the, every organ. You know, it hits justice, it hits health, it hits education. And sadly, the poorest of the poor are those who suffer the, the most from a corrupt system. Akeri Muna has held several posts over what can be considered a well-established international career. Despite first rejecting the call to follow in his father's political footsteps, Muna recently announced that he's running for president in the 2018 general election. With the hope of finally stamping out the corruption in his country, a battle he's long fought for during his years at Transparency International. And the country is now under what I call state capture by a few people, less than a hundred, who running the country for your own benefits uh, and a couple of oligarchs. And that totally defaces the system, which is now the politics is fashioned to maintain the leader who has to depend on people who are corrupt and corrupt people who need to perpetrate tribalism and nepotism to maintain themselves. And the whole uh, societal mix is distorted. This is Small Changes, a podcast about how sometimes the seemingly smallest change can have the biggest impact. This week I'm talking to Akeri Muna about his fight to defeat corruption in Cameroon. I'm Lucy Lanville. Well, let's quickly recap the early years. Uh, what was it like where you grew up in Cameroon? You, you were in the northwest. In the northwest, uh, I, my father was a, was a politician, and uh, he, he was minister at different times, and prime minister, and vice president, and speaker of parliament. And it was a period when Cameroon was going through uh, independence and uh, reunification. So I really grew up in a family that was bubbling in politics here. So just for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with your fascinating country, mm-hmm. could you just give us a bit of background to Cameroon? Well, uh, we had a German colony, uh, of course, after the uh, late uh, 19th century and the partition of Africa at the Treaty of Berlin. One country became uh, a German colony. And after the First World War, you know very well that uh, many countries became now the spoils of war, so to speak, and... Uh, Cameroon was partly ad- jointly administered by the French and the English, and then afterwards split between the French and the English, and the way, and the larger part was the French Toss territory, 
and the smaller part, which is southern Cameroons, was the trust territory managed, you know, by England, by, Brit- by Great Britain. And uh, in the years of the independence, the early 60s, Cameroonians had a choice to uh, either join Cameroon, the La République du Cameroun, which is the French-speaking part, or go with Nigeria. Uh, but the southern Cameroonians insisted on what they call the third option, that's for independence. So, well, uh, we went for a plebiscite and the vote was for reunification. So then we had the Federal Republic of Cameroon, and that is how Cameroon Federal Republic was born, a bilingual country, bicultural and bijural. In 72, it became a unitary state, and uh, that started the process where there was a growing Anglophone minority that felt there was something amiss in terms of the treatment of Anglophones. In Cameroon, there are fears that as many as 30 people have been killed in protests in Anglophone parts of the country. Clashes broke out after English-speaking Cameroonians accused the Francophone government of marginalization and discrimination. English-speaking parts of Cameroon joined the trend by demanding their own independence. Police shot and killed at least eight people in the western regions of the country. Power was also cut and remains out. The rallies took place on the very day Cameroon's English and French regions had united 56 years earlier. Now, have you heard of Ambazonia? The country doesn't exist, well, only in the minds of successionists in two English-speaking regions in majority French-speaking Cameroon. Anglophones who feel marginalised have been protesting for months. Protests have been quashed, but at the same time, Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, has been open to dialogue. It so happens, though, that the La République du Cameroun, which is what the country became in 84, was the same name as in 1960, when it was just the French-speaking Cameroons. So since then, Cameroon has really struggled with uh, managing this diversity and with the uh, serious instance of bad governance and, and, and corruption. This process has really uh, gone very, very sour and to the point where today we have a uh, Anglophones really uh, feeling very, very sad and unhappy within the Republic, which uh, and they they started by uh, complaining about uh, the fact that the laws were not translated. Uh, being an Anglophone was not a happy, uh, a happy place to be. And in the north, you have a separate challenge coming from the Lake Chad area, right? Yeah, that is correct. That is well said. Uh, the the challenge which has to do with Boko Haram, and uh, which concerns also Nigeria and in the East. We also have a overspill of the Central African Republic crisis and now we have two fronts of open northwest and southwest with the struggling Anglophones who are now clamoring for what they call secession and some going restoration of the independence. So it's a sad mix here. Obviously most people speak French but how typical is it for people in Cameroon to be able to speak English? For example in school? Well as with all minorities Cameroon the English speaking Cameroonians are 30% of the population. It means, therefore, that uh, you have more people speaking French. And as the case is always with the minorities, that you find that most Anglophones tend to be bilingual, more bilingual than the Francophones. After some encouragement from his father, Salomon Tandeng Muna, Akere went to study in the United States. He then went to London, where he was called to the bar in 1978 and he became one of the first barristers to be trained in European economic community law. Despite having the opportunity to go back to Brussels, his father wanted him to come home. 
So he returned to Cameroon and joined his brother Bernard in practice. And what kind of cases did, did the firm specialise in? We did a lot of, you know, back home we can't really specialise, but uh, because of our, bi- our, our bilingual gate, we're forced to uh, put ourselves up as a law chamber that was bilingual and bijural, because Cameroon till today is a bijural country from the point of view that there's a common law system, which we know here, and the civil law system, which is uh, based on the Napoleonic Code, so it's side by side. And this is one of the problems, because, you know, uh, this culture difference is something that we have to manage very carefully. So the, the chamber was specialized in a lot of international work, work in, in, in financing and in, in contracts and of course the ordinary day-to-day cases here. And did you encounter any kind of interference with, with due legal process? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, so in the 90s were the years of the struggle for the multi-party system and of course there were a lot of uh, human rights problems and in, 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 in civil liberties and all that. And at the same time, also, the bar became very, very active. And Bernard, my brother, then was the head of the bar. And uh, we had the former head of the bar, Yano Black, who got arrested for trying to form a party, they say. And, of course, we went through all that till uh, 1990 when the uh, multi came into Cameroon and we had the first elections in 92. You yourself worked on a controversial case to do with the Abache family from Nigeria, right? Ah, that's a very interesting issue. It was a murder case of Mohamed Abacha, who was accused of killing the, the wife of Abiola. We should just spell out that th- these were leaders of Nigeria. Exactly. What is really wild about this is the fact that, you know, I went to Nigeria, you know, as a lawyer, went to a criminal case, but Abacha had just died, and the Nigerians really were, they wanted some kind of vengeance and I think that's how Mohammed got became a victim of this, and they said he was in a big plot and all that kind of stuff. And you, so that part of me, as someone who's grown up with a fellow who's in politics and being victimized because you're Muna's son, he sold anglophones, all that kind of stuff, I was rather sympathetic to Mohammed Abacha because he was getting stuff for which he was not really responsible, and I was really, you know, taken in by that. But at the same time, trials were going on in London for huge amounts of money that were embezzled. And I remember one morning, Peter Eigen called me. He says, Akere, you now are a member of the board of TI, and you need this about your case. I said, listen, Peter, I'm a lawyer. That's what I do. I do cases. He says, yes, but you know, you're in Transparent International now. I said, that's correct. He says, but do you think you should be in this case? I said, this case is a murder trial. Nothing to do with money. So what's the problem? He says, Akere. An abacha is an abacha. So you have to make a decision. I won't force you, but you know that each time you'll have to explain this to everybody and nobody will understand. So I left the, that brief. So just to explain, who is uh, Dr. Peter Eigen? Dr. Peter Eigen is a well-known German who started Transparent, the founder of Transparency International. He is an icon in the fight against corruption. After the break, we'll hear more about Peter Eigen and the consequences Muna faced after joining Transparency International. We'll also hear about how corruption affects the everyday citizen in Cameroon. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favorite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column here, here, that's here as in hearing and here as in where comes out filled with recommendations from you our listeners we sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer these podcasts are often small yet mighty productions which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers so if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world sign up for our weekly here here newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. My fellow Cameroonians, our country is now at the crossroads of its history. Welcome back to Small Changes. I'm Lucy Lamble. Before the break, we heard from Akere Muna, a barrister who, after taking on some very high-profile international cases, decided to look inward and tackle the problems his own country was facing. It's with a great sense of responsibility and humility that I have decided to inform you of my intention to run for the office of President of the Republic of Cameroon in the elections constitutionally scheduled for 2018. You always denied an interest in politics. That's correct, yes. And yet, uh, last October, you announced that you were planning to stand. That is correct. Well, listen, when I was head of the bar for close to six years, five, five years, I think, I had to choose a sector of society that interests me. And I thought that the one thing, the one thing that was destroying a country was corruption. And corruption is like a cancer. It gets every part of the, every organ. You know, he hits justice, he hits health, he hits education. And sadly, the poorest of the poor are those who suffer the, the most from a corrupt system. So I said, well, listen, you know, at the same time, uh, I got in touch with, I started reading about Transparency International that had just put out its corruption perception index in which Cameroon was on the top or at the bottom, you know, depending on how you look at it. So I think then when I met Peter Eigen, the founder of TI, who I invited to Cameroon, then I was just ending my term, and he turned me around there. That was, I'd say that visit of Peter Eigen was my Damascus, so to speak. Uh, he asked me to create a chapter in Cameroon. Then I started my crusade uh, in the fight against corruption, and that really didn't please the government very, very much. So the government wasn't pleased with you, but what exactly did you experience in, in the face of this resistance? A lot of conflicts, a lot of threats, uh, 
as I told you earlier to a question you asked, which is uh, very pointed, our practice was very international oriented in terms of advice and stuff, and most of the partners who came to the country were really people who did business with the government. And the government told them, well, listen, if your chambers, your lawyers are Muna and Muna, sorry, we wouldn't do work, work with you, so we lost 80% of our business. That didn't help very much, no. Let's just unpack this issue with corruption. Why has the problem been allowed to continue so long? Well, firstly, the government didn't want to talk about it. And they would say, where's the proof? Ha, ha, ha. Well, you know, but the proof is that the country is sinking, people are suffering, and the budget is is spent on something else, and people are confusing the government treasury with their own bank accounts. So what might the ordinary citizen experience day to day? Oh, it's sad. I had a guy who had worked for me for boom, 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 28 years. He, he passed in 2014, and uh, he left a widow with five kids, and I'm trying to help that family uh, with the problems of you know school and stuff. So about four months ago, my phone rang at 1 a.m. in the morning, and there was somebody on the phone. He said, well, listen, the guy who died, his name was Jacques. He says, Jacques's wife has been beaten by a snake. I said, well, you don't have to talk to me. We run to the hospital. So yes, we're actually there. And the guy says, with no money, they can't do anything. I said, what? A snake bite? He says, yes. I said, well, borrow money from anybody there. Then you can come and get some money. And that's how bad it is. This is a person bitten by a snake. The life is per second. And people are asking for money. So a system has been nurtured. And the country is now under what I call state capture by a few people, less than a hundred, who are running the country for their own benefits uh, and a couple of oligarchs. And that totally defaces the system, which is now the politics is fashioned to maintain the leader who has to depend on people who are corrupt and corrupt people who need to perpetrate tribalism and nepotism to maintain themselves. And the whole uh, societal mix is distorted. And so I think you need a a new order, a new systemic change that'll uh, give every Cameroonian a chance. Can you point us to any examples of countries or communities where a big difference has actually been made? Rwanda, I think. Rwanda is an amazing country where they've gone from a war-torn country to a country where corruption fighting is exemplary. Uh, Botswana, it's pretty good. You know, Mauritius is doing its very best, but of course it has the flip side that is also a tax haven, and, and that's difficult for people to understand. You touched on it there, but what can you do to chip away at this presence of corruption in the country? Well, firstly, systemic change. For people to know that it is as dangerous to be corrupt as crossing a street in high traffic. That's what it has to be. People understand that there is no way you can... It's morally wrong for you to be paid for a service you already paid for. And the Cameroon is a sad case because the richest people are the civil servants. And that's crazy for you to want to propose a system where the private sector gives traction to the economy. I think it's sad to have one uh, where the civil servants are the poorest. Anybody can guess where the money is coming from. So that is it. A systemic change that cleans up the system, brings in accountability, makes the processes transparent. People should know exactly where the funding is coming from, uh, where the minerals are going to and stuff like that. We can get there if we make sure the citizens are empowered, yes. So what do you want to see happen in Cameroon? What are the changes that you still want to help push through? 
Uh, I think there, there's a great awareness from Cameroonians that they need a chance at the start. And I think 2018 is the year, firstly, to take a look at the problem with the tension and the disunity between Cameroonians who are now divided between Anglophones and Francophones, and also to have a system which is accountable, where the people are at the center of every government's action. So that's what I'm fighting for. If you liked this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Even better, leave us a review and tell us about it. And join the discussion on Twitter. We're at Guardian Podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us there or email us at podcasts at theguardian.com. Small Changes is produced by Gabriella Jones, Rowan Slaney and Danielle Stevens. We'll be back next week. I'm Lucy Lamble. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.